So T-bills, very safe investment. $1 turns to $22. Right. Large cap stocks, $1 turns into around 11,000. Small cap stocks, $1 turns into like 40 something thousand. And then small value stocks, $1 turns into 128,000 over the last 98 years. Welcome to the Financial Commute, a weekly podcast that gives you the rundown on what's going on in the current market, how it affects you, and what you can do about it, all designed to fit into your commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, and each week I share the table with a knowledgeable guest, including Morton Wealth Advisors, fund managers, and investment analysts, to break down complex financial topics. Our goal is to provide you with the tools to help you navigate any market environment, leading to a path of more confident investing. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Financial Commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, joined by partner and wealth advisor, Bruce Tyson. Bruce, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Interesting year in the markets. Very. Um, I think we've had some bank failures. We had a debt debacle. We had a government shutdown. We've had headlines about inflation and interest rates. Affordability with housing and employment seems to be all over the place. I'm going back to your very first comment, an interesting year. It's always interesting. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I know you know this, but while the average for the long-term average for the stock market is like nine or ten percent a year, going back way back, it almost never is nine or ten percent. It's either twelve or fifteen or twenty or down three or down twenty-five. So averages, as they, as I've heard recently, it's like if you have your your head in the freezer and your feet in boiling water, on average, you're pretty comfortable. <laughs> I think that puts that puts the average returns of the stock market in better perspective, right? Because right? mm-hmm. it's very rarely exactly you know that nine to ten percent that it historically is returned. Right. Um, it's either a lot higher or a lot lower, or somewhere in between. But that analogy of putting your head in the freezer and your feet in boiling water. The average is correct. You're probably comfortable. Right. Another uh, interesting statistic is uh, on if you look at your portfolio every day, and I, I think I think I wrote this down here. It's uh, it's about oh, where's my note here? Uh, your daily chance of being up is fifty three percent. So forty seven percent. It's down. But on a quarterly basis, it's up seventy-one yeah. percent, and on a yearly basis, it's up. The market's up seventy-eight percent. So people can worry a lot on a day-to-day basis, but it just takes a you know, longer overall perspective uh, to have more comfort being in markets. Warren Buffett even said recently that you know there's always reasons why not to invest. Right. I like how you put it in perspective in terms of if you look at your accounts daily, there's a fifty percent chance. 53% chance that it's up. If you look at it quarterly, I think it was close to 70%. Right. And then if you look at it on an annual basis, about 78% of the time, right. you know, you made money with regards to stocks. We um, we do most of our stock investing with a group called Dimensional Fund Advisors. Right. And they had a speaker come into the office last week that threw out some just mind-blowing statistics Right. Um, that I just found really interesting. So- he threw one example out there of saying, okay, listen, you always have to gauge this risk versus return with clients. Um, average return for the stock market is 
you know, up nine or 10%, like you said, but it really hits that number. Right. You could have big extremes from year to year. Right. Um, and so that's why, you know, people also invest in bonds. Right. But going back to 1926, if you invested a dollar into T-bills over that, call it almost 100 years, that $1 earning that four to three to 4% a year return over that, you know, almost 100 years, that would be $22. Yeah, that's not bad. That's a that's more than a 10 bagger. That's a 22 bagger right? for 100 years. I mean, <laughs> I invested dollar in 1926 and I have $22 today. I'm not sure that that necessarily kept up with the inflation, right? No, the not really. No. And then he said, okay, well, what about large stocks? So, you know, the last 15 years, large mega cap technology stocks have been the place to be. Right. So if you invested a dollar in 1926 in the large stocks, what would it have grown to, you know? $11,000. $11,000. So you got bonds, 3 to 4% on average. Go $1 goes to $22. $22. $22. $22. Then you've got large cap stocks. Average returns, call it 8 to 10%. Um, that $1 grew to 11000 Right. That's incredible difference. Right, right, right. And if you think that that's interesting, um, you know, a lot of people sit there and say, oh, well, you should be invested in smaller companies in value. Right. And the last 15 years, that might not have worked out that well for you compared to large growth. But if you invested a dollar in small company stocks, 1926, yeah. it'd be worth something like $40,000 right. today. $40,000. Yeah. But then small value. What was small value? It was over a hundred thousand dollars, hundred and twenty that I think hundred and twenty eight thousand dollars. That's incredible. I mean, let's get this straight, right? So, and so, and t- tell me again why I shouldn't put all my money in small cap value? Oh, it's probably a lot more volatile. Yeah, right. right. Um, if you can deal with the you know sixty to seventy percent swings, who knows? Right. I'm, I'm not sure. That might be even more extreme. But I mean, that's just that's an amazing difference because of compounding, right? So T-bills, very safe investment. $1 turns to $22. Right. Large cap stocks, $1 turns into around 11000 Small cap stocks, $1 turns into like 40-something thousand. And then small value stocks, $1 turns into 128000 over the last 98 years. Right. That's incredible. Um, that's one of the reasons why we choose to work with a group like Dimensional Fund Advisors. Right. right. They do, you know, focus on the long-term effects of things. They also try to tilt their portfolios towards more value-oriented companies, companies that um, are cheaper relative to other companies, but then also are a little bit smaller as well. Right. So people, you know, in the last 15 years, obviously growth has done a lot better than value. And people think that value has been off its game which it really has not. It's really been pretty consistent in in its price to its valuation metric, which is uh, price generally price to book. It's been fairly constant in the two two times plus or minus two to three sometimes. Um, whereas growth has been just huge numbers up and then crashing back down. And yeah. you know, in the in the in the first decade of the two thousands, actually valued it pretty well compared to you know growth stock. And that was right after sort of that technology boom. Right. So the tech bubble bursts. Right. And so growth companies, you know, lost 90% of its value overnight. Right. Um, but that's more of the extreme that we're talking about is that, you know, both growth and both value have done very, very well over the long term. Right. 
But because growth can get to such high extremes from a valuation standpoint, right. that eventually they come, they, they, they could come crashing down in price. But value companies, because right. they're already perceived to be cheaper, right. um, they also have higher profitability, mm-hmm. um, more cash flow. Often higher dividends. Higher dividends. Those seem to hold its price and be a lot more steady over time. Right. If you think about uh, some companies now that are available in the value space, you can see a lot of energy companies like Exxon and Chevron have you know four percent approximate dividends. Their their uh, price to earnings ratio is only like ten, as opposed to some of the big you know more aggressive tech companies, which can be you know in the hundred hundred times earnings range. Yeah. And so if you you know depending on what you're looking for, if you're trying to get rich and you want to take a chance. You know, maybe go with some of the, put a lot of your money in in the growth stuff at these levels. But uh, really, you know, we're more comfortable in you know the consistent, uh, you know, conservative value plays for part of the portfolio, uh, where we can get those those uh, lower valuations but higher cash flows. I mean, you've been you've been investing and helping clients make decisions around investing for you know just a few years now, and you've seen a number of different. Things go on. Sorry, just a few years. Just a few years. <laughs> just a few years. But you you happen to see a number of different instances where you know the economy's been good or it's also been challenging. Aside from the tech tech bubble, where if I just created a website, I had a billion dollar valuation. Right. Have you ever seen the market this interesting in terms of you know seven eight companies leading the way versus everywhere else um, just sort of chugging along? You had that back in the in the tech boom, um, but you know, where, you know, where seven or eight companies, you know, can be a third or, you know, 30% of the valuation of the S&P 500. Yeah. That's pretty extreme. Uh, but you could, but sometimes it's 10 or 15. It's usually the bottom part of the, of the markets. I mean, in terms of the, the indices, um, you know, they're, um, they don't get much, they don't get much playing. The top, the top, uh, Allocations in the S&P 500 um, are more like the top one company. The top each one of those is more than the bottom 100 of the S&P 500. They, right. they just get actually almost no impact. No exposure. Right. Yeah, I think uh, even earlier this year, the Nasdaq, um, the top six companies represented almost half of the half the index itself. Right. So if there was 100 companies that index, right. seven of them represented 50 percent of it. I mean. That can just get really out of whack when it comes to where do I want to invest my my next dollar, right? And then at what price? What am I investing in? Is it uh, a, a good price or is it expensive? Right. So you know, as investors, we're now you know facing the ongoing question of like where should we put money? And nowadays, because of what's happened with the economy, there are a lot of juicier investments in income generating investments that are. Uh, some traditional fixed income, but some also what we call private credit, where yields can be in the eight to ten percent range, um, and that is crowding out. I think that's one reason why why the average stock has not done that well. I mean, this year, and we're talking in November, uh, that the weight, the equal weight index for the S and P five hundred is all. If you if you had a dollar in every company and a five hundred dollar investment. Uh, that's actually slightly negative this year. So even though the, the S&P 500 is up, 
you know, the average um, company's not. And so we just assume be in, in investments where we're getting positive return. And that's where, and, you know, and when, when income investments like this are attractive, then big pension funds and other, and, you know, very large investors can say, hey, I can get my bogey from doing this without having to take as much risk. So a lot of money goes there. And that and that puts a damper on, I think, where where growth stocks, you know, can go. I think it's they're still bad. If a value if a value company is yielding four percent and you can crank out three percent or four percent capital appreciation, which isn't very much, right? That's an eight percent return. Sure, that's pretty good. Right, it's almost that's almost the the long-term average of the stock market. And this is really the shift of the tide that has happened over the last couple of years with higher interest rates and the Fed's kind of coming and stepping in. And you know, just to kind of summarize it for, for everybody, post the financial crisis, mm -hmm. we basically had it, it instituted a zero interest rate policy, right. meaning that, that we as, a, as an economy are gonna keep interest rates as low as possible. The Fed was setting that rate, that, the, those rates to instill economic activity. Right. And so you had a period of time where the dividend yield on, call it the S&P 500, was, you were getting more income from the dividends than you could going and buying a bond. Right. And so you kind of had the best of both worlds during that time. Right. You could invest in growth and get more income than if you were to go to income-oriented investments. And right. that caused a, just a flood of money to go focus on growth. Right. Whether it was real estate assets or, you know, or growth stocks, but exactly. all that money, because it wasn't there, it was getting paid and you were, you were earning less. Right. So it all went there. Right. Now, all of a sudden rates are at a reasonable situation. Um, and by the way, that income from rates is contractual. That's a big deal. They have to pay it. Yeah. Yeah. So now all of a sudden in those contractual agreements, those loans, whether it be private credit or other types of fixed income, you can get that eight, nine percent. Well, if the dividend yield on the S P five hundred is still around two or less. Yeah, less. It, it is. It's probably like one point three or one point four, right? Now all of a sudden it's like, wow, I can get a really good return outside. I don't need stocks to do this. And right. so, you know, money flows make a big difference in terms of, you know, things being able to go up. Right. Yeah. That's it. It's so fascinating. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out, but you point you we, you were talking to me earlier that because of the change in rates and the competition for investments, whether it be private credit, public credit versus stocks, that can cause a slowdown in the economy. Right. As well. The government borrowing is crowding out um, the other other investment. So there's so we as investors putting you know now T bills are five percent, so we can buy a lot of T bills and other. Then other uh, pr private investments that require funding and, and loans, you know, we're putting money in those kinds of things too, and that's crowding out money that might otherwise go into into some kind of private equity or building companies. Uh, there's not, and the, because banks are not lending as much, banks' re uh, lending requirements are super strict now. It's harder to get capital, and that's a function of the government, you know, borrowing so much money. Oh, without a doubt. Um I'm still just blown away by the numbers. It's really easy to kind of look at it day to day and um, have that fear of missing out, right? I want to be invested in 
you know, the Apples and the Microsoft and the Teslas. This is not an endorsement, by the way. But I want to be invested in those seven, eight companies because that's what's driving all the growth this year. Yeah. But if you look over the long term, you know, the difference between investing in small cap value versus, you know, large cap like that. Right. A dollar over almost 100 years could grow to 11000 or 128000 Right. I mean, it really makes you think and, and want to look at your portfolio and say, hey, Am I properly exposed to that area of the market? Um, am I properly diversified? And you know, should I maybe take some chips off the table from these things that have done really, really well? Right, and that's why you should uh, take good care of your health so that you can live to be a hundred years old and have that money and grow your whole life. I'm glad that you brought that up. I actually came across this article over the weekend. It was talking about blue zones, uh, and in Japan, a lot of those blue zone um, places. They live by this philosophy of ikigai, um, you know, you, what you are meant to do in life. And they say, stay active, don't retire, right? Be involved in something that you're passionate about. Take it slow. Don't fill your stomach. Get in shape. Smile. Reconnect with nature. Give thanks. Live in the moment. These are all things that, you know, are great to live by. And it's not, you know, checking your account every single day and, and worried necessarily about, you know, recessions and, you know, volatility in the stock market. Well, actually, I came across something just yesterday. I was cleaning up some paperwork. Let me yeah. see if I can find it here on my phone. Drink tea and nourish life with the first sip, joy. With the second, thankfulness. With the third, Danish. <laughs> I like the Danish part. <laughs> and then um, going against that was another one. Be patient and achieve all things. Be impatient and achieve all things faster. Little humor. <laughs> uh, Bruce, thanks for joining us today. I know that investing in, you know, stocks or bonds or in general is really difficult to, you know, put some rationale behind. Where do I go next? Where's my next dollar best suited? And sometimes we just get so focused on what's happening today or in the short right. term that we need to kind of zoom out and say, hey, where is it that we're really trying to go? What is this done? Or what am I hoping this will do for me for the long term? And just not sell all the things that are kind of doing okay and just buy more of the things that are doing really, really well. In that instance, you might be missing out on, on a tremendous amount of growth for yourself and your family long-term. Right. So I agree. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. We hope this episode has provided you with a roadmap to feel more confident as an investor. To receive notifications about weekly episodes, email us at financialcommute at mortonwealth.com.